Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. I'm here with Tony Horgan from uh, Tennis Scouse, and uh, he's going to tell you a bit about back in the company and how they're getting on. So, Tony, how are you doing? Good morning, how are you? Good, thanks. So, back in the Tennis Scouse, how did it start? So Tender Scouts started um, maybe four years ago. I had spent quite a bit of time working with various startups and with um, multinationals, um, writing tenders, competing for government contracts. Uh, it's a tedious job. Nobody likes it, and I certainly didn't like it. So I was continually looking for a better way. And um, about four years ago, I felt that um, with a bit of smart technology, we could start to automate a lot of the elements of the process and I guess the goal for me is to make the process as simple and as painless as possible. So for the last four years, we've been developing technology to do just that. And how far have you grown in four years? So, um, well, we've learned an awful lot. Uh, the first couple of years was um, market research, trying to understand who might actually buy a product like this if we were to bring it to market. And the big challenge really, um, the failing, I guess, was we started in Ireland. And... In Ireland, people are generally, businesses are generally uh, very averse to tendering. They don't like it. They reckon it's all a stitch up, that it's just for the big boys. And if they don't have any sort of track record or if they don't know, know somebody in the know, they've no chance of winning it. But I come from it from a different angle. Um, I didn't know anybody. Um, and I was competing for tenders for a variety of companies and I was winning them so there must have been something with what I was doing that other companies weren't doing so I set out to figure out what that was I spent a lot of time researching the market understanding you know is there really a bias in the market do government organizations only favor the big boys and what I found particularly from that research is that almost everybody competing for government contracts does so very badly and in fact the barrier to winning a contract back four years ago was pretty low you could be pretty rubbish and knowing that everybody else was even worse meant that you could win contracts yet very few companies were actually competing for them like even today less than 10 percent of all the companies in ireland that could be competing for government contracts actually do and you say they make mistakes. What mistakes would they be making? Well, uh, the most simple one is not answering the question that you've been asked. Um, most companies um, will answer the question that is in their comfort zone rather than trying to understand what is the problem that the buyer of the, uh, the putting out that tender is actually trying to solve. And the, the challenge really is that the problem they're trying to solve isn't often articulated in the tender. They're not going to say, we need some training because all of our staff are, are useless. They're not going to say, um, we need a software system because we've no ability to, to be accountable in our organization. It's always going to be dressed up as the end point. So they will say, we need an email solution. We need training. And if your response to that is, we can give you training, we can give you an email solution, well then you're just the same as a hundred other companies. But it's the company that can say, well why do you want an email solution? Well let's see if we can understand that problem. You get inside their head, you establish empathy with them and that's really the big thing. Yeah. Um, and then you put yourself into the prime position to win. So I guess most guys are putting square pegs in the round holes. 
it is yeah it's um and a lot of it comes from just not understanding i guess how the process works one of the biggest challenges that we have is companies ring us up um often on a friday and they say there's an opportunity i want to write a tender for and it's due next um tuesday and i'll ask them well why do you think you're going to win this and they'll say well it's for a website and we do websites and say well in our database uh, and this is true in our database at the moment we have probably 50,000 companies who do websites so what makes you different and probably what makes you different is by going beyond the we just want a website and saying well why what are they really trying to achieve out of this is it greater visitor numbers is it um more e-commerce tr- interactions what is the thing that they're really trying to accomplish from this yeah i guess basically you're trying to sell them basically if they say they want a website you're going to go well actually they want more than websites. they want basically an open shop we can tell them everything about themselves yeah yeah um i think one of the dangers that we often see is when people see you know somebody wants a website and if you can actually deliver a website you will tend to compete for the opportunity but you're not really realizing um all of the things that you don't know so and again when you're putting a response together they're probably not going to ask you um for your risk mitigation strategy and i've just said that now and anybody yeah. listening is going to go well i've no i've never done one of those but the winning tender is going to have stuck in there we have a risk mitigation strategy so you will be assured that if anything goes wrong uh, during this project we have a process to look after you yeah. and that's a little that's a little fragment of text that we would put into every tender that we do and knowing that most other people are not going to put that in well they might now that they've heard this yeah. that gives us a little bit of differentiation and you're always looking for those little bit of differentiations that turn you from one of 50,000 website companies to the one that they want to work because with. Because I was saying if some says to me I'll get it to do that algo's fine cuz what about putting a blog on the website because what's a blog going to do well a blog's going to basically tell people what you actually do rather than basically about us page who we are it tells you more about what you're doing day to day and if you mention that in a tender or, or, or anything like that chances are they're going to pick you up more because you're going above and beyond what the tender calls for. Yeah, absolutely. Um and we would we would also look at it um from another point of view before you even engage with somebody uh, on a tender, you should be looking out for what it is that they might actually want um that they're not going to say in the tender. A lot of our customers now will build um thought thought leadership um blog posts yeah. um to establish their credentials in a in an area or with an organization or with a particular technology before a tender comes out so that when the tender does come out they've already got some sort of name recognition and they've also got uh, they've already got some sort of credentials in the area yeah because I, i find a time when you put a tender in and you just and it gives you like a, a, a one eight thing and you say yeah i can do that can do that can do that and half the things you say you can do you, you, you don't specify how well you're going to do it might be why not say you why not do them and do add more the more you, the more top that you gave the more chance you get attended because you you're giving them more than they were looking for which is what what means you're going to win yeah and it's um surprising how especially in Ireland actually um you know we're great people for hiding our talents under bushels um and the number of times that people will not actually tell you in a tender 
uh, how good they are yeah. or what they've done or what their track record is. So very often, one of the key areas in putting a tender together is the CVs of the people involved. And the first mistake that people often make is they only talk about their experience in the company that they're currently working for, as if the 20 years previous to that that they've been in the industry suddenly don't count yeah. for anything. Um, so one of the very first things that we do when we're working with companies is we rewrite their CVs for them so that they're focused on their experience and expertise rather than on the companies that they happen to have worked for. And that opens up you know, an extra 20 years worth of experience yeah. for a lot of, lot of companies, um, lots, more, lots of richer examples of the work that they've done in lots of different industries. It shows them to be more fully rounded people and more interesting people. And ultimately, it's people, it's the people that you put forward that win a tender for you. And if you can make those people as interesting, as relevant and as credible as possible, that's what puts you yeah, in the pole position. I've seen basically in the past when I've like jobs years ago, you put a CV in and you list your past three, four jobs. And nowadays I feel what you just, when you do a CV, you put what relevant job you're applying for. So only give them skills that they know they're looking for. You don't give your skills, oh, oh my, my hobby is, is or do crossworks. If that's not, if a job that you do doesn't involve any of thinking, you don't mention that, you should mention that at all, but you mention what's going to get you the job. What do you think the skills you have that they will need rather than what they don't need? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, don't point straight on what part time I'm, I'm in a church choir. That's not going to get you a job because they think, well, what's that going to do for me? Yeah, unless it's with the national choir. Yeah. Maybe that tender it would help. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, for most jobs, you've got to basically fill in and give them what they want, what, what actually fits the job. So you fill in this thing in, okay, they're looking for this. What people do I have? What skills do I have that can relevant to what they're looking for? What experience do I have? So if I said I spent 20 years working in this area with other companies in the past, and some of the companies they know, the could be blue chip companies they know very well, that means they know I've got the experience, got records, they're mm-hmm. going to look at me more over somebody else. Yeah. More generally, right across um, all of the areas of a tender, what they look for is demonstrable expertise. Uh, and that basically means that rather than saying you can do something, you tell them where you did that something. Yeah. So, you know, if it's anything, again, just back to the website example, it's not enough to say we do websites. It's better to say we have done websites for client X, client Y, and client Z, yeah. and these are very similar in, t- in terms of scale and size to what you're trying to do. And also, you can show them basically the website examples. This is what we've done. Look at these samples here, and they're live now. And you can maybe, if you're able to tell them that over the past so many years, their growth, they've got more custom through this because of the redesign and everything else that helps as well. Mm, yeah, and, and I mean, websites is kind of an easy one, but just an emerging area now is GDPR. Yeah. So there's a lot of companies, and the interesting thing about GDPR is that there's very few companies or people that actually have experience uh, of GDPR. So they may have some sort of data protection um, experience in the past, but they will have very little GDPR because it's just an emerging standard. Yeah. And the tenders that are coming out now are asking for people with this experience. So it doesn't really exist. So people have, um, so there's a great opportunity where people um, have to figure out what it is in their past that they can apply to the subject matter and the specific, specific that word, yeah. of, um, of GDPR. So um, it's a great area just to, see how people can um, we're having a lot of interest in seeing how, how it is that people are actually adapting their own experience and expertise from the past 
to answer a question where they, they've probably got very little actual experience. Yeah, because I've worked in the past, so working now with a coach for GDPR, and it's basically that people don't even know what it is, and they've got a year before this comes into place, but lot of people we're talking to don't, don't realise it's the last minute, and they're going to panic at last minute, and then when they want to get someone done, they go, we can't do that, let's get tender in. And the problem is they put a tender out probably in, in December, Mm. And for someone helping with this, and if this is coming into, into 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 force next May, how do you you haven't you've got three four months to prepare for it? It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mind you, we just ran a training session yeah. here this morning, and we had one of our clients in who submitted um, a, a tender four months ago, and uh, it still hasn't been opened. So um, whenever it does actually get to start, there's going to be very very little time for preparation. Now that's, well, that's one thing I don't get, because I know that times with GDPR, certain other companies, and they said, well, we're, we're planning for this, but they wouldn't go into how they're doing this or what's going to, what's going to happen. So, well, you've got, to, you've got to basically just over a year. And the longer you put it off, the worse it gets, because last minute, everything you've done has got to be rewritten and rechanged the process of what you do things. And the longer you put that off, mm. you know, you're going to end up in a scenario where if you do something, it's going to end up in a, a mishmash job, and it's not going to be... Not going to look very healthy, and some comes in does not in the company. Yeah. They're not going to they're going to be walk away crying because well, what what you've done. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. So I mean, and also you also talked about basically about that there's nine billion euro worth of, of tenders in Ireland that's not been people don't compete for, and they've one billion dollars worldwide of globally of tenders not competing for. And I mean, I don't know why they aren't doing that. Yeah, so in Ireland last year there was about seven thousand tenders above 25,000 euro um, out there to um, compete for. But in Ireland, uh, I think there's something like 200,000 companies, I could be wrong on that, but only, I'd I'd say less than 10,000 companies actually put in a tender each year. So it's almost one for one with what's available um, as to what's there. And only a fraction of them actually win. So there's very few companies competing for 9 billion euro worth of business. Uh, It's incredible, really. Um, I saw a survey just recently that PwC had done across Europe, and in 25% of all the tenders across Europe, which is um, just over a trillion euro, one in four tenders only gets one response. One single person submits an application for a contract, and these are contracts, they're not um, esoteric contracts, these are normal contracts, but so many people think, oh, it's too much effort to compete for that opportunity. There will be too much competition. And in fact, just one person responds. There's some tenders out there that nobody responds to at all. A tender's worth, you know, hundreds of thousands of euro that many, many companies could do. So it's incredible. There's such a poor attitude to businesses in general, to the business of competing for tenders. And one of the reasons that um, I guess I started this business uh, is my background is a technology background. So I was never a salesperson. I was never, um, you know, put out there to do the deal. So just not that type of character. And the world of tendering is a little bit more anonymous. You don't have to bring people to the Aviva Stadium. You're not whining and dining people like madmen or something like that. Um, it, it is around the documentation. It is around your technical merits or your service delivery merits. It's much more suited to the new emerging economy, the new tech economy. Yeah. Um, and it's and because it's it's ripe for automation and it's ripe for optimization. It's I, I think it's fascinating that so few companies 
are encouraged to actually uh, compete for uh, tenders like this when it's it's just it's an easier sales process. I guess basically the probably still used to what has been done in the past. It's all been done this way. Why would we change? Yeah, uh, m- maybe. Um, but I think if you look at any tender process now, essentially um, it boils down to the completion of a document. And, um, you know, while that isn't the whole process and it's maybe not even the most important part of the process, it is a part of the process that anybody can do. And it's something that you can improve over time. You, and, and the great thing about the tendering world as well, you know, you put in a submission and it's evaluated and they will come back and they'll say, well, this is an A submission, this is a B submission, and this is what you need to improve on the next time. Yeah. So again, one of the, I guess, the secrets of our success, and we have a very high win rate, it's not that, um, I mean, essentially what it is, is when we work with a client and we put in um, a, a tender, it gets scored and we can see, oh, well, we only got seven out of 10 for quality. So the next tender, we improve quality and we yeah. get eight or nine out of 10. And after two or three tenders, um, if you're not winning, well then, you know, there's something more fundamentally wrong with your business because you've, you've, you've been given the feedback, you're being told. Uh, I mean, we, we had a tender recently, um, it was for photography services, and uh, we lost marks because we hadn't um, indicated what our plan was if the camera broke on the day of a shoot. Yeah. So in the next tender, which was worth three times as much, it was worth nearly 400,000 euro, we made sure we had a section, if the camera breaks on the day, this is what we will do. And that tender was one, and that was 400,000 euro. Yeah. I guess basically you've got to learn from that. And also, but you said, right, you said, if you keep tendering and you're not winning, it's more than just what It's basically the company philosophy itself has probably busted flush, maybe. Yeah, I mean, we've had um, one-man operations win tenders. Actually, that tender, that photography tender that was a two-person organization 400,000 euro tender um, you know so anybody really if they have the credibility if they have the experience and expertise can win significant value tenders but it's really just a matter of actually starting the process and being committed to the process I guess people are so worried or scared because if they're a small operation like one two people work in a company how to go about doing this and they've got to fill all those documents in Whereas if you can most reassure them, oh, it's not that bad as you think it is, we'll help you along the way and we'll guide you. That might get you more, more involved in doing, in doing this. Yeah, I mean, I get one of the big goals for us is that um, people do participate more in the process. Because I do believe that if there's more participation in the process, more smaller companies will actually win these contracts. There's absolutely no reason in the world why bigger companies should, uh, should be winning these all the time. And in fact, they're not. Um, the majority of contracts are actually won by smaller companies. But within that, uh, like over 80% of contracts are won by smaller companies, but um, the, the public perception would be that it's something very different. The real problem is that those smaller companies, they just compete an awful lot and they lose an awful lot as well. So while they might win the large, the lion's share of the yeah. contracts, individually they don't do so well. And that's really what we're trying to, to target. And I guess also you want, because every time you see in the paper someone want to win a tender for one a contract, all you're seeing is a, is a big company. You don't see the small ones doing that because small ones actually don't shout out about it. And they should be letting people know, I've won this contract. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it happens in other countries. I mean, an interesting stat um, I saw recently is that Irish companies um, for the size of Ireland actually win more contracts abroad than 
our European neighbours would win abroad. So we actually compete better outside of Ireland than other companies compete outside of their home countries. And that's something that I've never seen a statistic on. Um, but something like, um, you know, it's nearly twice as high as our next nearest uh, challenger in Europe. Because yeah. I know companies that are Irish companies and said to me, uh, where are your clients? Oh, they're in America. They're not, they're not in Ireland. Yeah. And I said, where are they? And the one company in FinTech, oh, they're based in Dundalk. That's where they're based. Because uh, and uh, any clients in Dundalk? Yeah, our clients are all in America. We opened an office in New York last month. And we're going to be focusing on New York. Mm. That's where all the finance major Wall Street areas yeah. So in Ireland, no, no clients. And the people are working with a time and section story. They've got an office here, but no one knows who they are. One company now called Jeff, they, uh, they do uh, e-commerce solutions for websites and then they got taken over by, by Walmart. And I asked them, so uh, where actually are you based? Oh, they're an office in Dublin, but they're based in America. And the mm-hmm. found in America, that's where the money is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, I mean, that, and that's the thing. I mean, the Irish market is... Nine, 9 billion euro yeah. for tenders but the global market is 3.1 trillion and we have customers winning contracts in Canada in Irish we have Irish companies winning contracts in Texas yeah. um, in Sweden um, all around the place and they're, they're just not a, the tendering the great thing about tendering is it's largely speaking all the same wherever you go around the world so if you can um your quality statement is as good in Ireland as it is in the UK, as it is in America. And there might be little nuances and little bits and pieces to change, but largely speaking, the world of tendering enables you to compete for opportunities right around the world. And the levels of participation are just as poor in other places. So there's absolutely no reason whatsoever why you shouldn't be winning contracts uh, all over the place. Because I can see companies in Ireland who are Ireland's best known secret, no one knows who they are, and they're making millions of years a year, and all the, all the contracts is, is, is abroad. Mm. But you, you wouldn't know, because no one knows about that. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're doing well, shout about it, and people know what you're doing, it's good to hear our success story doing well, and maybe that might result in you getting clients in Ireland as well. Yeah. And not only that, um, it's actually, tendering opens you up to a really interesting array of business opportunities that you wouldn't get to experience otherwise like in the last um, three months say I mean we've worked on tenders for the European Space Agency for um, there was one to map rocks in Scotland yeah that's uh, an intriguing one uh, I don't know why they needed to map rocks but they needed to map rocks uh, for um, the Crick uh, Institute in the UK for waste management for uh, stationary supplies um, the list goes on and on it's hugely varied and regardless of what your sector is there's going to be loads of really interesting pieces of work for you to do so never mind the financial element of it there's just a world of really interesting opportunities out there to grow your business and um, to give give yourself experience in new areas and those opportunities really should be taken yeah, by smaller companies. Because I guess there's companies there who are great in one sector, then suddenly you realise if you pivot slightly, you can use what you've got and do something else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot in the last couple of years, I've seen a lot of web development companies turn into mobile app development yeah. companies. <laughs> and now they're starting to... Um, you know, they're developing tourism applications, you know, while they would have been traditionally doing e-commerce sites and now they're moving into augmented reality solutions for um, 
for um, what was the one I saw recently for hiking trails yeah. you know so there's a whole range of really interesting things that you'd be doing because last year interviewed one the one the uh, early members of, of Slack and fighting from Slack they were doing a <clears throat> an online uh, video game and it was doing well but then I realised after a while it, it's, it's doing okay but it's not doing as well as it should be doing and then when they developed that game they had this development system for Slack where internally they can message each other and talk about basically how things are going because they're developing teams all over the world yeah. and then they realised hold on a second why don't we just stop the game and focus on this thing instead mm. and they pivoted slightly and that's what them with the art today and a lot of companies are probably same thing like you said earlier when they're doing the basic uh, web design and suddenly they're going into mobile development and then travel tourism yeah. If you trip it slightly and we've got a product that works and change it, slightly tweak yeah. it, that's yeah. where you go for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's loads of really interesting opportunities there. So, I mean, I hope anyone listening to this does uh, feel that, you know, it might be a little bit tedious to get started. I mean, there's nothing particularly fun about um, the world of tendering, but it's really just the tip of the iceberg. And underneath it, there's a whole array of really interesting um business that you could be doing, experiences that you could be gaining, and you could be doing this all around the world. Actually, a really interesting story. We have a client, um, she's Australian, and she is, um, I better not say her name just in case. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> fine. Matter. But she is, um, she is basically traveling around the world with her family at the moment. She's currently based in the UK, and she is funding her travels around the world with tendering. Yeah. So as she goes around the world, she uses TenderScout to identify opportunities and to compete for those opportunities um, just in the social media space. And um, and that's how she's in it. She, so she's uh, totally ruthless, I guess, from um, you know any fixed particular location. And she's able to deliver this service around the world. So she's living around the world at the same time yeah. with her family. That's a great thing because I, I've seen in the past with a company and they're, they're telling me, when you go for a tenor, I'm looking at something that I could do. And you look at the words of what, whatever the tenor is of the words of, of, of job is available, that person off goes, hold on, why does that put you off? When it says something, surely you, you, you can do that. Well, we've done it in the past, or some of what we do, so that's fine, you can adapt what you're doing right now and decide to, to go for this. Yeah. And there is a way you can't do that, because the moment you, you keep saying we can't adapt, if you don't adapt and die, change, you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. Every few years, you've got to think about what you're doing and kind of modify what you're doing slightly to go for new emerging markets. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, something that we even have to be aware of internally because the more companies we work with, the more interesting opportunities we see for the TenderScout platform itself. And it's, um, it's a challenge for me to keep the roadmap on straight and narrow, focused on um, the things that we need to do over the next 12 months because... With this pace of technology, with the way data analytics is opening up and machine learning, um, there's so many things that we could be integrating into the platform to improve the predictive analytics, to improve uh, collaboration. Um, so it's, you know, there's so many opportunities that we're being exposed yeah. to from our clients that uh, our challenge is to keep focused on, on the prize for us. I guess maybe in a long time we could have bots that when you go into your website, it actually knows who you are from before and tells you, oh, by the way, that 10 you got last time, this is the way you can get it, and uh, we found three or four that we think you should go for. That kind of stuff could be next on your, oh, maybe your radar. Well, we do that now. Yeah, we, yeah, we do that now, but um, I get, in the next iteration of um, Tender Scout, we'll be um, beefing up our machine learning, so yeah. we will predict 
your likelihood of winning any particular opportunity on the platform. And we can do that because we have a data set of over 3 million tenders um, and their award notices associated with them. So we can see who's been winning opportunities um, over the past um, 10 years or so. So we can use that information with the characteristics of those opportunities and your current capability to predict how you would compete against those companies. Yeah, well, that's going to be interesting because I know that machine learning and everything else is, is not going more the focus because the technology is not going more, more affordable. Especially with like IBM Watson, he, that kind of stuff you can use that to actually help you do things and become more cheaper. And now Watson one is open, open source as well, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, we, we're developing our own um, code at the moment, but, but it's something that we might look at. I mean, it's an area that's emerging as much as anything else. I mean, I, mean, there's, I guess it's a real challenge that people continually mistake, you know, artificial intelligence for machine learning and machine learning for pattern matching. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody's doing machine learning now or everybody's doing artificial intelligence. And they're, and they're probably not. Thanks very much for the enlightening discussion. It was great to hear about what you guys do. And I hope to hear about what you guys in the future. Thanks right. very much. That was Thank perfect. You very much.